Welcome into the Wire Sports Weekly. It's March 23rd, 2018, a beautiful Friday afternoon here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Not a cloud in the sky, as John Steppy said recently. I'm your host, as always, Jack Phillips. Alongside me, you've probably guessed it, it's John Steppy and Chris Reiser for part one of this weekly podcast as we recap the ending of the Marquette women's basketball season. A sad conclusion, losing in the round of 32 to Louisville, but we've got two beat reporters here to talk about it, John Steppy. Chris Reisner, thanks for being here. The underclassmen, a little bit of a part one underclassmen edition, if, if I don't say so myself, right, guys? Yeah, thanks for having us. Of course, always a pleasure, Jack. All right, guys, well, really quickly, we're going to talk about Marquette and the conclusion of their season. Then we're going to wrap up part one, and we're actually going to invite Andrew Goldstein and Brendan Plone, the other two men's basketball beat reporters, to, to talk about the conclusion of the men's basketball season. But without further ado, let's get into the women's basketball conclusion. Well, guys, actually, as I said before, again, Marquette, they unfortunately lost in the round of 32 and the NCAA tournament. The final score was 90-72, to but the loss seems to have meant a little bit more to the program, um, even though they didn't end up getting farther into, or at least into the Sweet 16. So, in your guys' opinion, um, what were your thoughts on the game, and what kind of impact did this game have on the team, and how might it be a bright spot for the future of the program? I know I just threw a lot of questions at you, so feel free to answer them in increments. I just thought I'd throw the whole the whole question out at you for a little bit. Well, I think that it wasn't exactly a huge surprise. Louisville is one of those teams in women's basketball right now. There's pretty much that top eight or so, and then you have everybody else. And Louisville is one of those top eight teams that you need just about everything and then some to go right in order to have a chance to knock them off. So it wasn't really a huge surprise. It's always good to get experience against those top tier teams certainly gave them a lot of exposure playing on ESPN's family of networks for the weekend, but also speaks to the fact that losing that Big East championship game by 35 points, if you win that game, I think they could be a sixth seed. That's why I heard from sources as well that that really played a role in that one. So it was not exactly a huge surprise when you think about it because Syracuse is in that top tier of women's college basketball where you have that top eight teams or so that are just unstoppable. And then you have reality, everybody else. Louisville is in that top tier, very well-coached team. So really not a huge surprise. It kind of gives a good barometer of where Marquette is at as a program. This is a really what they're trying to emulate. So really, again, not what Marquette was looking for, but it's also what they were expecting. Yeah, you used the phrase top tier in reference to Louisville, and I think Marquette is really a second tier program right now. They're not quite on par with the Yukons and the and the Tennessees and the Notre Dames, but they are in that second tier and they're for sure on the rise. And I think this loss against Louisville kind of summed up what you can take from their season. And Marquette was three and seven this year against teams that were either ranked at the time they played them or were ranked at some point this season. So those teams being Tennessee, Green Bay, Michigan, Notre Dame, DePaul, Villanova, and then, of course, Louisville. So they had two wins against Villanova, one win against DePaul. Against all the other ranked teams or teams that were ranked at some point, they fell just short. Um, but only two of those games were, were, were double-digit losses for Marquette. And two of those games went to overtime. Notre Dame and Tennessee went to overtime, and those were top five teams in the country. Yeah, so they for sure showed that they are more than capable 
of hanging with these top-tier teams in the country, but they do struggle, and they just don't quite have the talent yet to match up with them. But overall, I think they can take they can take some success from what they achieved this year. And as John said, it's kind of what you expect. They probably weren't going to beat Louisville, but they put up a good fight, and I think it just was a fitting conclusion. They're a second-tier program right now, and they're looking to make that jump. Well, and a follow-up question to that is, how do you think Marquette will be able, and this is for both of you, but how do you guys think Marquette will be able to make that jump from a second-tier to a first-tier team? Because they're definitely on the rise, like you said, Reisner. I don't mean to use a little pun there in the word there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, like seriously, is Marquette, how long is it going to take for them to be able to jump from that second-tier to that first-tier? Is it going to be like just like into 2019, or is it going to take a while longer? Well, uh, it's got to start with the recruiting, the recruiting classes, and they have a phenomenal recruiting class um, with the current juniors that are going to become seniors. Coach Keeger kind of um, hit the lottery with with five players that are all starters in the same recruiting class, and all um, a player like Alizea Blockton who 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 ended the season with 34 points, and and that's another takeaway is she just had a, another phenomenal year. She's proven that she's a premier player in the country. But yeah, Jack, it starts with the recruiting class, and it's going to be a matter of whether this program can can recruit some of the top talent in the country because give credit to the coaching and the culture and everything for the UConns, but really it starts with the players and it starts with the talent, and that's what those top-tier programs have and Marquette is starting to have but looking to add on to. Well, the thing is I wrote a bit about this in the Tribune this week, and there are two things. One thing that Keeger brought up on Saturday – for the pre-Louisville availability, and one after the game. The thing beforehand that she said is they need to beat the best in order to be the best, which cliche it is, but it does bring up a good point. What was it, three and seven that you said? Yeah, three and seven. Teams have been ranked this year. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it that way, you need to start winning those games first. The other thing that she said, too, on Sundays, you got to get recruit post players. Because you mentioned that five-person recruiting class, where they're all, for the most part, guards. You have Erica Davenport, but she's still a bit undersized. She's not a true five at that tier one level. She can make it work at tier two, but she's not a tier one player. Yeah, she's a 5'11 post player, and Block Blockton would be the tallest in that class at six foot, but she plays more like a guard. And you look at it, you compare that 5'11 post player against Louisville, against a player like Heinz Allen, and I mean... And what is she, like 6'4", around there? I don't have it right off the top of my head, but a huge authoritative presence in the paint. I mean, she had 24 points in that game, and it was a player that they knew was going to be an issue. Here talked extensively on that Saturday about Heinz Allen really being a dangerous player, a player that she tried recruiting at Miami. So they knew that Heinz Allen was going to be a dangerous threat, and she still just dominated. Whenever you have 24 points, 13 rebounds in an NCAA tournament game, that's a pretty good sign. Marquette needs to start getting players like Maisha Heinz Allen, other players like that. Guard-wise, obviously, Asia Durr, those types of players at Louisville, are really good, but Elsie Blackman's not too far back from there, where it's still a respectable amount, but you don't have the post players that a team like Louisville has yet. And that once you start getting those post players, then it's gonna be a sign of, hey, this program's really starting to maybe try to get into that 
upper section. Yeah, and just real quick to end this, I think um, that point you made about height is is crucial because not just Hines Allen. I just looked up; she's six foot two. She went off against them. Tori Schickel, a really solid player for Butler. Marquette had real trouble handling her in the post this year, and. Um, yeah, I, I just agree with that. I think height is going to be crucial because they really didn't have the size this year to match up against those top-notch post players. And I actually wanted to bring something up just uh, before we – I have, like, two more questions about the women's basketball season in general. Before we move on to that, a little bit about Marquette men's basketball in the sense that I, 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 want to do, I wanted to ask the question while Reisner was here because I remember when Reisner and I had a podcast about a month and a half ago. Remember we brought up the idea of basketball being played in, in the Al McGuire Center? Was it the Golden Seagull? That shot us down on the internet. I think it was anonymous eagle. It was the anonymous eagle who probably the listens wrong to this. Bird right there. So <laughs> you gotta get your bird knowledge so, up to par, Jack. I want to give a shout out to the anonymous eagle right now because uh, I think Dwayne Wade actually tweeted about how he or he he commented. I remember I, I read something on Sports Center or I, I read something about Dwayne Wade where he commented that the El McGuire Center it was a cool environment. It was on campus. It was really loud and they filled the place and it had a big impact on the games, especially with the Marquette men's lacrosse team and how they were able to kind of distract the free throw shooters. So. I don't know if you want to comment on that, Reisner, but I thought I'd take the time to just say, you know what, we we weren't necessarily wrong. In a yeah, sense. I was fortunate enough to call on MU Radio along with Nathan DeSutter, all three of those NIT games, and what a fun atmosphere it was. It was so loud. It was so much more of an intimate atmosphere. You could see all the fans. You were We were courtside, and I could look into the stands and see so many people and fellow students and friends I knew. It was such a cool atmosphere. It was so loud. It was so compact. It almost reminded me of like a high school atmosphere. And it was a lot of fun. So I get where he was coming from because he was saying Marquette's average attendance this year was around 14,000. The Bradley Center, 20,000. And uh, the Al McGuire Center holds under 4,000. So definitely it makes it less available for so many people to come. But the atmosphere itself is so much better. It's so much more fun. And... Yeah, the, the only problem is kind of like the logistics, the financial stuff, because it would make tickets a lot more expensive for those games. But I think it's really worth it, man, because that's such a, a cool, neat atmosphere. It was the first time, I think, since 2014 when they had an actual meaningful game, non-exhibition game, in the Al McGuire Center. So, Anonymous Eagle, I'm sticking by Jack and I's point. they got to start playing some, some more games there. It should be a, an annual-type thing. Well, I think the thing to keep in mind is also, you look at, it really only works for situations like this. Because you have too many season ticket holders where season ticket holders aren't going to be happy about not getting a home game in their plan. And a meaningful one because you can't really count Alabama A&M as really a significant game at the L. And you need to find one that's significant for a few thousand people to sell it out, but not too significant that your driving price is even higher than what they were for that IT. So, Wojo said it was Carolyn Keeger's gym. I tend to agree with him on that one. I'm gonna. I agree with that. I'm not saying that it's like. I'm not saying that it's necessarily a great idea for the big games against like Villanova. But in the sense of like, I agree. And with Reiser's point of maybe like once or twice every season where you put a game in the Al McGuire Center where students don't have to pay for an uber or get on a shuttle or walk almost a mile over to the bmo in like 20 degree weather it's pretty convenient you know if it's on, when it's on 12th street so again it's just something to think about and like if, if the, it was in the it, during, obviously it was during the nit so it meant a little more because it was a tournament but still you know if you put in like a, um, a little game like 
uh, who, who do we, Eastern Illinois. We played them earlier, in, Mar Marquette played them earlier in the year. Like a, a small game like that or an exhibition game. It might just be like a, a cool idea just to try it so that at least it sounds louder. And you know how much the environment has or the, the how much of an impact the environment has on a basketball, basketball game because when players look up and they see an upper bowl that's not filled, it's like, all right, well, it doesn't seem like they it, – it, it gives less of an intimidating um, feature compared to when you look around and all you see is gold – Blue and gold, screaming fans, a Marquette lacrosse team uh, playing tug of war with three children. It's definitely going to distract you. So I'm just Joe Amplos kids. Yeah, they, yeah, they were Joe Amplos kids too. So shout out to the Marquette men's lacrosse team for that. But still, it, it's an interesting thing thing to think about. But really quickly before we end part one of this podcast, moving on to the last two questions about the Marquette women's basketball team. In your guys' opinion, what were the, your overall thoughts and? Um, or takeaways from the 2017-2018 season? Were you impressed? Were you disappointed? Just take me through your thoughts. You know, I wasn't necessarily impressed, disappointed. I, I think my expectations were met when it came to this season. Um, some pros just to take away. Uh, offensively, this was one of the best teams in the country, this Marquette women's team. They were 17th in the country in points per game at around 80. They were top 40 in assists. Um, just under 16 assists per game, and that's something Coach Keeger stresses a ton. She She's a former point guard herself, the all-time leader in assists here at Marquette. So she's she's huge on the assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, but, yeah, I think they met my expectations. They they had, they had won the uh, Big East regular season title in a tiebreaker with DePaul. They ended up making the tournament. They got a win, which they weren't quite able to do last year, so they redeemed themselves. And then they just fell short against a Louisville team that they just didn't quite stack up too well against. They just didn't quite have the talent to match up with one of the premier teams in the country. Some questions of concern this year. So th there's a lot of talk about the versatility of this team. And Keeger is on record saying any given night they have five, six different players that can go off for 20 points. Well, you know, that's a good thing. And that and that obviously makes it difficult to game plan against them because they have a lot of different weapons. But they also had a lot of inconsistency, and you didn't really know who was going to step up from game to game. And I think the one real consistent player who was there every night was Alizé Blockton. Maybe she had a couple off games, but for the most part, she stepped up all and season. Her off game is a lot different than an off game for Let's say, somebody else on the team. Yeah, but when you have Heidemann who can – go for 26 one night, and then go for four points the next night, it provides this sort of inconsistency in this in these question marks of this team where where you don't know who is going to perform every night. And that's a real question for concern. And the other question for concern I have is I feel like at a certain point this season they their offense became a little predictable and it became easy for other teams to game plan against them. And that was highlighted um, – we talked about it on the last podcast we did, but that game against Georgetown where they got blown out by a, a team with a much worse record. Um, Marquette, they're so athletic and they're so good at attacking the rim, and teams saw that. And there were games where they, uh, the opposing team would just pack the paint and Marquette could not hit anything from the outside. And they became really predictable just trying to attack the rim, a little dribble drive every single time. So I think they need to add some sort of dimension to their offense. That being said... They were top 20 in points per game. So, um, yeah, there's there's the pros and the cons. But overall, I think they met expectations, and they just have some little fixes, as any team would. And that's a great point. And with Tigger's rebuild process, this is another step. 
They thought that they were going to hit the step of their first NCAA tournament win last year. Quinnipiac game, don't need to remind people, did not go quite according to plan. This year they get that accomplishment. They probably wish that they were a bit farther along on this rebuild process. But really right now starts the clock of once that gigantic junior class graduates, that's gonna be a bit of a that's gonna be a tough next year after that. So you're really trying to get the most out of having such a big junior class. I think that they did a pretty good job of that getting into a game against Louisville and being competitive at times. Obviously first quarter not quite such a such a good sight if you're a Marpet fan. I think I had my story pretty much written by the time final buzzer happened because it was just that much of a blowout. But they had good stretches. They've had or they showed signs of life. But it's just kind of a matter of they missed out on a couple things. You don't lose to DePaul by quite so much. Maybe you don't lose to Georgetown. Maybe you don't have that crazy fluke of a collapse against Creighton at home. A couple things go differently. I think there's a good chance they're still playing right now. And, yeah, one thing I, had, I talked about the concerns and a couple more I, I wrote down. So we talk about this phenomenal junior class. There were multiple times this season where Marquette did not record a single bench point the entire game. And that lack of depth, something that really came to bite them when they had people that were off, like Danielle King shooting a very inefficient percentage in that game against Louisville, they really had little bench production. And a player like Lauren Van Clunen started off the season with a 23-point game, her first career game uh, for the for the program. She scored 23 points against a pretty solid New Mexico team. And then she kind of just tailed off it seemed like she almost lost her confidence at some point and ended the season with just 4.7 points per game we're gonna see with the next recruiting class um if they can add some more depth and yeah that's a huge question mark in a couple of seasons is once that awesome junior class graduates how are they gonna be able to come back from that but depth is a is a key that they're gonna need to add now i'm gonna change this up and have a question for you guys here Side note here with the end of the season being in Louisville. Do you guys know that chicken and waffles were a thing? Yes. Yeah, I've heard wait, of it. Wait, wait, wait. You didn't know that was a thing? Well, at the Young Center, so they had a media buffet each time. And the last time, it was a noon, noon Eastern time game. And I was kind of just trying to quick get to media meal before starters were announced. This is working on other stuff before. And I thought, huh, this is weird. There are chicken and waffles in the same pan so I'm like okay I guess I'll just take a waffle and then I talked to the Louisville writer for the Louisville Courier Journal a newspaper down there and she got a pretty good laugh out of that one knowing that I did not know what chicken and waffles were but that's almost like a metaphor for Marquette if you think about it <laughs> okay where are you going with this okay so if you think about it they first got to the chicken and waffles line playing Louisville this year, getting this far into the tournament. And now they're learning what they need to do differently. They're learning, okay, maybe we need to figure out, oh, wait, the chicken does go on the waffle, and you put syrup on both. They're making I, strides Okay, here. I think that's a huge stretch of an analogy, but I'll, I'll let you have it. Can I also point out that I feel like that's something that I would say and not John Steppy? I, I, that, I would never I'm feel like... i you guys knew what chicken and waffles were. No, I just... I can, I'm surprised you've never heard of it. Yeah, I'm it's not that, that uncommon. I just can't believe out of all the people to say that analogy would be you. That sounds like something me or Andrew Goldstein would say. 
I guess so. <laughs> Maybe it's just that I'm hanging out that much with you guys. That's a good point. We do hang out a lot. So, well, and actually, one before we before we conclude part one, one final question: Do you guys what what specific improvements does Marquette need to make? I know we've kind of kind of mm-hmm. we're, we're kicking a dead horse at this point, but. What improvements does Marquette have to make over the offseason to see changes in the 2019 season? So I talked about it a little already, um, adding depth. I think they need to tweak their offense, maybe add a little, a few more dimensions in terms of spacing the floor because a lot of teams tried to pack the paint and that gave them struggles. I'll kind of switch this up with my answer. I'm going to talk about their my expectations for them going into next season. And with a returning junior class like they have in their final season, I really expect this team to make the Sweet 16. I also, it's a disappointment if they don't. Yeah. At I, this point. I think at this point we should expect them to make the Sweet 16, perhaps even in Elite Eight. That would be even better. Um, I'm not sure they're going to have the talent again to match up with the Yukons of the world um, because those programs are just kind of in a, t- a class of their own right now. And also, I'm really intrigued to see how Chloe Murata performs for this team coming in. She's a 6-1 recruit out of Homestead, the top-ranked player in the state of Wisconsin. And brother, or sister, excuse mm-hmm. me, of Cam Rada. Sister of Cam. And, yeah, she's a top 100 recruit in the country. She averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds for Homestead. Does uh, Keeger and Wojo get, like, a discount for the second player from the same family that they recruit? Because Wojo could be making some good money off that with the Housers, too. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's making his recruiting a little easier going through the families, but... Yeah, hopefully Chloe can add some depth. And hopefully when I talk about the depth of this team, Keeger has been really good at developing players. And I'm hoping the role players that added some contributions like Lauren Van Cloonen, Selena Lott, um, I'm hoping that they can step up their game next year and add things to their game so they're not really one-dimensional players that can contribute here and there, but really players that can make a solid contribution to the team come 2018-19. Yeah, and I think to build on that, they just need more consistency. They have plenty of players that can score 20-plus points. They need to get more that can just chip in kind of those usual games, the ones that aren't necessarily going to kill you when you have your game off. That's another thing that Jeff Walls mentioned, the Louisville head coach, is really that's the difference between a good team, very good team, elite team, is really how many players do you have that are capable of doing that consistently and that consistency just isn't there right now all right guys well thank you for being on part one of the marquette wire sports weekly for the conclusion of the marquette women's basketball season chris reiser and john steppy with me and now we begin part two of the wire sports weekly still jack phillips your host as always alongside me this time john steppy still here from part one but it'll also be andrew goldstein and brendan plone guys Again, thanks for always being here on the podcast. Oh, no problem. It's uh, nice to just come in and shoot the breeze about Marquette basketball for yeah. the last time this year. Oh, hashtag emotional. Yeah, I was going to say, how does it feel? And it's a marathon for me. You just can't get enough of me. That's true, John. We, we, Steppy, you don't still have two me. years. It's it's Goldstein and Plum that should be almost crying right now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how they're going to survive without me. So I don't know either, man. Somehow I'll find a way. Mm-hmm. I do not doubt that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, for men's basketball, they missed the NCAA tournament for the fourth time in the last five seasons, in fact. And, how, how, however, they did make a good run in the NIT tournament. The Golden Eagles eventually lost to Penn State in the Al McGuire Center in the quarterfinals of the tournament, the final score being 85-80. to What did you guys see the Golden Eagles do well in the NIT, and what do you think went wrong for them in the loss to Penn State? Well, oh, sorry, no, after you. 
Oh, thank you. It's like the dinner check style here after you. I think one thing that they did well <laughs> was actually doing well despite having a lot of injuries. When you think about Sam Hauser playing with a serious hip injury, Greg Elliott dealing with a serious hand injury, they did not have much. So the fact that they're able to make a run is actually fairly impressive in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you looked at the way Lamar Stevens was scoring and getting into the paint at will against Marquette, it's obvious that Sam Hauser wasn't on his game because of the hip injury. Really, it's a credit to him that he was even out there on the floor. Not it's just, amazing. Yeah, not just yeah, for this seriously. game, but for really the majority of the season. And then, of course, becomes even more impressive when you factor in Greg Elliott with the hand injury. So really, Marquette was playing with what is that, six healthy players that receive more than 10 minutes per game? That's a pretty big credit to Wojo's group. I think that Penn State was just a bad matchup for them. Uh, Tony Carr is a tall, athletic, ball-dominant guard, and the Golden Eagles haven't been able to guard that kind of player all year. And then Lamar Stevens. Yeah, then right, Lamar Stevens. Right, right, the right. only way Marquette was ever going to win that game is by outscoring Penn State, and they came pretty close to it. But even from the beginning, this didn't look like a game that the Golden Eagles were particularly suited to winning. You right. have Notre Dame right. there without Fonzie. I think you can make it to New York right now. But Penn State is not the type of team. It's the same type of team that they've struggled with all year. Yeah, exactly. Andrew, you said, um, you know, Marquette's had a struggle against those types of players, like be it whether it was Jalen Brunson, Kyron Cartwright. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I mean, Penn State was exactly that team. And I mean, we saw what they were able to do in the first two games. I mean, they outscored Oregon. You know, they scored 101 points or whatever it was. And then they put up an impressive first half display against Harvard. So, I mean, we could see what they could do, um, you know, in the first couple of rounds. But then, of course, when it came to crunch time, quarterfinals time, they were limited. And overall, honestly, I think uh, in the NIT tournament, I think they did make a good run. Um, I, was, I, think the, I think the win against Oregon was really impressive, especially um, a few days prior to the, the loss against Penn State. But credit to the Golden Eagles, they made it through three games in the NIT. Obviously, they lost the third game against Penn State, unfortunately for Marquette. But I don't know, the atmosphere in the Al McGuire Center, I know Chris Reisner and John Steppe and I talked about this in part one of the podcast, but the atmosphere in the Al McGuire Center with only about 4,000 fans seemed pretty interesting with how loud it was and how packed the, uh, the stadium or the arena was. So credit to the Golden Eagles. They eventually didn't get the result they wanted, but still they had an impressive season. Now, I pose this next question for you guys because you're the Marquette men's basketball beat reporter, so this is, I, I, I value your opinion in this question. Would you have rather seen Marquette do what they did in the NIT, so go into three games, lose to Penn State in the quarterfinals, or would you rather have them make the real, the, the NCAA tournament and lose in the first round, similar to what they did last year against South Carolina? I think fans were hoping for the NCAA tournament because the NIT in the long run still doesn't mean that much. According to, there are certain people that make a big deal of it, but in the end, it's still missing four NCAA tournaments in the last five years. So I think in terms of fans, that's where that stands. But I think for the team, they're better off with the NIT. Three legitimate opponents, especially Oregon and Penn State. Granted, Harvard was not the greatest team, but they stuck with it with Marquette. So to get that postseason experience, especially for a young team, that's me young again next year, a bit more experienced, but still, you look at it, those three bench players that they're really relying on heavily, Greg Elliott, Jamal Kane, and Theo John, 
they're still only going to be sophomores. Right. I mean, the fact that, you know, we, we knew they were going to be a really young team, and considering that, you know, all three freshmen were, you know, freshmen. I mean, we had no idea how they'd pan out, and it turns out they got a lot better down the stretch of the year, at least I thought they did, um, especially guys like Jamal and Greg. I mean, Theo was good for when he came in for Matt Held, but, I mean, he was often, you know, he was foul-prone. And so to, to get to get back to your question, Jack, I think, of course, like Steppy said, you know, fans want the NCAAs, but for the team, I think it's totally fine to make the, you know, the NIT considering what the expectations were. I mean, at least for coming in, I thought this was a borderline NCAA team, and that's what they ended up being. Yeah, it is better for the team that they made the NIT. I absolutely agree with both Steppy and Plone. Obviously, the fans wanted the NCAA tournament, and because the team didn't make the NCAA tournament, they definitely have a lot of pressure on them going into next year. I think that if they had ended up on the right side of that bubble, then some of that pressure would have been taken off. But if you look at the long term, Jamal Cain showed us a lot of things over those three games. Maybe if he's in the NCAA tournament against a better team, we don't see that from him. Greg Elliott, Theo John, there are times where they kind of flash their potential, which again, probably doesn't happen in the NCAA tournament against better competition. So as much as teams wanted this to be an NCAA tournament team, and as much as I think they could have been if they'd made a couple more plays, long-term, I don't think that the team really would have developed from playing in the NCAA tournament. And this isn't like a group of seniors that's trying to make one last run. You have eight of nine, projected eight of nine scholarship players coming back next year. And there's always a chance for a departure. There have been a lot of those recently. Always the chance for departure, always the chance for a grad transfer. There's always some kind of impromptu. There's always some kind of wild card going on. But the point is, the goal for this team now should be get better, not necessarily get the results that fans want because they're not really in a position to do that yet so from a long-term standpoint playing three games in march is better than probably playing one game in march and i think you guys could have couldn't have summed it up any better i think um when you compare the marquette women's team and the marquette men's team it's like two different tales completely in a sense that the women's team you remember you have we talked about this earlier steppy how like yeah like five um really crucial juniors that will be returning to the team next year unless like for some random grad transfer or departure you just like and you really truly never know but assuming the roster stays somewhat similar the market um, women's basketball team is going to be they're going to be that team that's trying to make a run with the rest of the, like the last of the seniors and trying to make something happen whereas the market's men's team in a sense is they're young they're developing and they're trying to get that experience so that they can eventually make it to the national or the actual tournament yeah now the women are all in for next year because after next year you have those five departures they're really looking for second weekend yeah and i think that's where the team's mindset is at now whereas for the men they're probably looking to just make the tournament next year i think that would kind of satisfy expectations at least at this way too early stage of things and i think the clock for women's basketball runs out when Blockton graduates. That's when they kind of have to reload a little bit. Marquette still has another year on that because really I think it's this class of Sam Hauser and Marcus Howard that kind of is in a pace that when you lose Sam and Marcus, that's going to be really when they have to retool a little bit. So it's kind of almost like women's are just a year ahead right now where men's is. 
I have a question. So was last year, you know, a flash in the pan for the men's team then? or? Yeah, well, I think last year you had the three seniors with yeah. Luke Fisher, Jawan Johnson, Caden Reinhardt. And you and had a player like Dwayne yeah. Wilson. Right, but right, I right. I also made this point uh, a couple weeks ago. This season is basically last season without the Villanova win. That's if very true. replace Villanova with just kind of a mediocre victory because let's say that Villanova makes one of the eight threes that they missed in the final five, four minutes, maybe it's five out of five seasons, or sorry, uh, four out of four seasons under Wojo, five out of the last five not making the tournament. So I don't think this team was fundamentally that different from the one we saw last year. So I don't think it was a flash in the pan so much as things breaking their way last season that didn't break their way this season. Because there are a lot of chances that they had that just didn't go right. Yeah, if they beat Xavier, they're a nine seed. Easily. Well, perfectly, this actually carries the um, carries me to the next question perfectly. What were your overall opinions of the 2018 season? Because I know there were a lot of ups and downs, and I know Golson, you, you, or Golson, you said of the entire year that um, Marquette, like this, this season was very similar to last season, except the Villanova win compared to the 2017 season. So what were your overall opinions of Marquette, and what did they do right, what did they do wrong in a sense? I think they did pretty much about what I expected them to do. I think I was the only one on staff that picked them to go to the NIT, and it was the only prediction I got right all year. <laughs> You've been on a roll the last few weeks. Yeah, no, I, I actually got one even No, I got off the schneid. I picked Penn State over Marquette, and Penn State won. Ah. Okay, so Eden 24, Eden 25, or what is it? Right in the position I want to be in, baby. Um, <laughs> but, no, I... <laughs> As the uh, sports content exec, this was not expected. Yeah, I was uh, not expecting. Yeah, you you, you guys that. missed it. Steffi gave a, a really interesting analogy of the women's team last year. Oh, he yeah. compared them, the chi- really he compared them oh. to chicken and waffles, Andrew. I heard that from the other room, <laughs> and I was stunned. What is going on in this podcast when I'm not here? Uh, no, I think I think this team was the offensive juggernaut that they that we thought they would be. I think they lived and died by the three. They were. Well, let's not sugarcoat it. Awful on defense. I think that there were some aspects of things that were a little bit magnified from where people thought it would be. I think they expected the team to improve at least a little on defense. I think we expected a couple more fouls drawn and drives to the hoop. But big picture, I don't think Marquette did anything drastically different than what fans thought they would do going into the season. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. I mean... Coming into this year, we knew they'd be live by the three, die by the three, and sure enough, that's what they were. What a shocker. Breaking news. Um, but, I mean, like we said, you know, they were awful at defense, and at times it was their crux, and it was what helped that. Well, what ultimately cost them. I mean, look at the games against St. John's where Shimori, Shimori Pons put up 44 or whatever it was. I mean, it was just like, it seemed like that happened a lot where it's like those individual guards. Jalen Brunson. Kyron Cartwright. I mean. Could go on for a while. You yeah. literally could probably name every single point guard in the Big East and say he went off against Marquette. And I guess if I need to keep up my legacy of breakfast comparisons here. Steppy, it's, it's, it's really 2 o'clock don't. in the afternoon. Honestly, I don't well, care. I, I like it personally. Just keep going. Okay, well, <laughs> just go. Just to humor Jack here, I feel like yeah. Okay, I'm getting the boo birds here. And you've actually lost. You've completely lost Goldstein and Plum. They've turned their chairs, and they've shame. At least Goldstein shame. has. Goldstein has. Well, I feel like if 
women's basketball is that first time that you see chicken and waffles at the media buffet. Then I feel like Marquette is that McDonald's egg McMuffin that you get every day that you know that it's the same thing. It's the same issues time and time again. Sometimes you're like, oh wow, this is, it kind of takes you a bit of like, oh, this is a nice meal. Other times it's not so nice, but in the long run, it's the same egg McMuffin. Are we done? <laughs> when are they, when, so when are they gonna step up and become a Big Mac? That's a good question. I don't know, do you can, step can up we? to that? Or is there another <laughs> breakfast food? Are we sticking with the breakfast food? No. The I don't recommend that anybody listen to this podcast. I, hey I'm now, just, hey now. Tune out. That's how we lose all of our viewers here, are my breakfast comparisons here. It, Steppy has been exiled from the podcast. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I didn't la- even mean to do that. The, the final question that I have for, for the Marquette men's basketball season, any and both of the basketball seasons in general, is what changes will we see for the men's basketball team in the 2019 season? And what do you think will, or do you think those changes will eventually get Marquette back into the tournament come next season? Well, it's hard to know, really, because so much of it's going to depend on the grad transfer market. So much of it's going to depend on do they get a last-second 2018 recruit. I mean, look at Greg Elliott. Yeah, Greg Elliott was an afterthought in the 2017 recruiting class, and he made the biggest contributions probably out of any of the freshmen this year. So you don't know what's going to happen yet. There's still kind of that level of fluidity. If they get Ashton Hagens, that really changes things. Well, also, it's a question about which class Ashton Hagens goes into because didn't he reclassify to 2019? It's, like, re reclassify to 2019? It's so many reads here, you don't know. And that's the other thing, too, is there's that's another aspect of that fluidity is even if they do get him, if he goes back to 2019, then th- you're still dealing with the same issues next year. I feel like the great unknown of next season is Brendan Bailey. Because everybody is focused on Joey Hauser and how he's going to heal up and whether he can come in and contribute, as they should. He's the top 50 recruit. But I feel like everyone always forgets about Brendan Bailey. And I don't know where he's at after having not really played competitive basketball for two or three years. But he's also two years further along in his physical growth than a typical freshman would be. And he's back now. And he's been back for probably, what, a month or two? So... He's yeah. getting some yeah. basketball time You now. could expect him to be in game shape when he gets to Marquette. Whether his mind is there, whether it's going to take him a little while to adjust is still open for debate. But if he could come in and be a solid you know, combo 2-3 type, then that could go a long way. Because even though Marquette's main weakness was with ball-dominant guards, they weren't great on the wing either. No. So, you know, just having... Jamal Kane take a little bit of a leap defensively, and then having Brendan Bailey come in, that could really go a long way towards shoring things up, providing some help defense if, say, Marcus Howard gets driven past. You know, I feel like plenty of times this year. Yeah, I feel like Howard and Rousey, they weren't great defenders, obviously, but they were also in a position where the people behind them weren't great either, so they were having their weaknesses constantly exposed. I think if there's some solid help behind them, then Marquette could improve from the 150th adjusted defensive efficiency range to like 90, 80, which given that offense is all you really need to do. Yeah, that puts you in NCAA tournament 
maybe even winning yeah. a game or two in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, honestly, tournament. that's the yeah. difference between being this year's Marquette team and being, say, Arizona or last year's UCLA team. And admittedly, neither one of those did well in the tournament, but in terms of total wins and production, you know, a 60-70 spot jump up to even average level, that could be the difference between being a bubble team and being a 6 or 5 seed. My question, totally unrelated, but where are you guys expectations-wise on the Wojo timeline? Four years on, I mean, he's made the tournament once, one first-round appearance. A lot of ex- exciting players. I mean, we know that they can shoot, but defensively, they aren't there. Um, Wins-wise, I mean, you know, it's been a constant heart attack with up and down. Oh, no, they it's won this one. a whole lot harder if they don't make the tournament last year. Yeah. Well, next year. So, so four years on, where are we on – where are we? Where are you guys on the Wojo uh, expectations? I think he has to make the tournament next year, barring injury. Yeah. If Marcus has a season-ending ACL injury and that's what keeps him out of the tournament, that's one thing. But if they, like in a situation this year, miss again, there are going to be some angry people. We already saw somebody take the Twitter handle, at FireWojo, so there's already yep. some tension. Yep. Not saying that a one Twitter user has any barometer on realistic job security, but people already are getting a bit restless. Add another year of missing the tournament. That's not where Marquette views their program. Yeah, it's really difficult to kind of prognosticate how the administration feels about it, or what's going on inside the Al McGuire Center because there's always this huge gap between what the coach knows and what the public knows. So it's very hard to say, you know, they should be making the tournament every year, or this should have happened, or this shouldn't have happened because there's so much data available to them. And there's that even a difference between what us. the coach knows and what the AD is thinking. Yeah. So there's even a level of disconnect there. Right, right. And also, when you're in this position, your success isn't merely measured in wins and losses. You know, I think fundraising has been way up. Obviously, they won't release that data, but given the equality and athletics data analysis expenditures and seeing how it's gone up 50% in the last two years, it's reasonable to assume that money's coming in to match that money going out. And there seems to be a pretty good reputation bump in terms of top recruits, you know, getting Joey Hauser, Marcus Howard, Henry Ellenson. Wojo puts Marquette in the conversation for those types of players. So it's less, I don't want to say it's less about what happens on the court because it's not, but there are all different kinds of complicating extraneous factors that an AD or fans are going to look at when judging a coach's performance. And their factors may not be the same as, as well our factors, right. fans' factors. Every stakeholder has a little bit of a different emphasis. See, the one thing that surprises me sometimes is when you look back to like 2011 or like 2012 and 2013 when Marquette was at one point in the Elite Eight, and that's only like five years ago. And they were on, like, one of the top programs, you could technically say, in the Big East. And not like, I guess not maybe a top program in the country, but definitely up in like a second tier, kind of what Marquette women's basketball is going for right now. I just don't understand how in that five years, how Marquette goes from that just to one head coaching switch, where all of a sudden you can barely make the tournament in four or five years and barely get to the corner files in the IT. I know that's just like my opinion on that, but sometimes little things like that kind of throw me off a little bit. Well, well, right. Yeah, I was going to say, he, so yeah. 
L- look at what Wojo's first year yeah. was. I mean, Derek Will. Yeah, at one point, I mean, the fact that the team was led by Matt Carlino, a grad transfer from BYU, was like telling. You know, I mean, it's just like yeah. he was Who might have been a bench player on this year's team. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't crack the starting five on this team. Yeah, he was basically Andrew Rousey, but Andrew Rousey good. was a little better. Hashtag yeah. Cartrino. Yeah, Carthrino, uh, those are the days. Ah, freshman uh, year, what a time. Yeah, no, freshman year, obviously, that's just a, pretty much a lost season. Sophomore and year, too, now I, I think I about like it. I feel like sophomore year, with Henry? men's and women's basketball brought so in two these, years ago, for the yeah, people that are Yeah, for two that. years ago, like 2015-2016, both men's and women's basketball brought in these big recruiting classes. And men's basketball is hoping to have what happens to women's basketball happen to them, which is they all kind of grow up together. And maybe Henry leaves early, but, you know, Hanif, Held, Annam, Carter, like they kind of form the core of the program for a couple of years. And then Tracy transferred. And then Hanif transferred. transferred. And then Sakar took his redshirt year. And then Sandy so, transferred in yeah, between. Yeah, so the... I guess the baseline that Wojo set down in year two that he I probably expected to carry him until now and kind of start really bearing fruit this season was kind of broken up prematurely, whereas for women's basketball, it all stuck together. And I don't think you can really judge Wojo or the coaching staff without knowing the circumstances of those transfers, which we obviously never will. And from what we do know publicly, it sounds like it's a different variation of things each time. I believe Tracy Carter said that it's family issues. Sandy Cohen wasn't necessarily happy at the program, but it's hard to know necessarily each case. And when you have those transfers, it really disrupts the continuity of what you're trying to build. Yeah, it's, that's, I mean, that's a very good point. I mean, the transfers, it seems like, for whatever reason, has been one of the most consistent threads in our four years here, Andrew. I mean, it's just like, oh, every year. Oh, another one. See ya. And actually, before we conclude the podcast, do Andrew Goldstein <laughs> and Brendan Blum want to say anything? I'm just saying it because because it is. It, no, well, okay, this is not your last podcast. Oh man, you guys are not done. You guys are not off the off the air completely. Uh, this is like parting shots. These are part, these are parting shots for the Ooh. for the basketball season because this is your last Ooh. basketball right. podcast. Yeah, fan- fantastic. All right, I got 30 minutes of thoughts. No, on no, you have 30 seconds. I'm walking out. I'm out of here. Yep. All right. Fine. No, honestly, I think the program is in a better position than most people think it is. Mm-hmm. I think they have some real assets coming back. The new arena is going to help a lot. And honestly, I you know, I think Wojo is a good coach. I think he's a good coach that got dealt kind of a rough hand over the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. And now high school coaches realize yeah. that. Now, now obviously, part in your parting thoughts. Yeah, Steffi, these are my parting thoughts. Okay, <laughs> stand, make breakfast food in the corner. I will depart as you make your parting thoughts. Yeah, Steffi is toast on this podcast. Hey, oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah, fantastic. No, I think Wojo is a better coach than people realize that got dealt a rough hand. Obviously, there are coaching moves of his that people are going to disagree with. There are coaching moves of his that I'm sure you and I disagree with. But if you look at the totality of his work, I don't think that you can point to anything and say, this is a sign that the program's not where it needs to be. I think it's on a good trajectory, and I 
think they should make the tournament next year. I don't think there's anything preventing that from happening right now. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I mean, honestly, Marquette is, like, you know, Andrew just said, they're in a lot better state than they were four years ago. And, I mean, even, you know, when you look at back at our freshman and sophomore year, it was like, oh, my gosh. It, it Honestly, at times it felt like a burden watching that team. I mean, those teams. Because it was like, you know – there's potential there, and it just never really developed for one one reason after another. And it's like, oh, well, they get close, and it seems like so many t- tough losses. And then this year it kind of seemed like this might be the year that it actually comes together. And then, I mean, they made the NAT. But, I mean, you know what? Hey, it's a lot better than it was four years ago. And I do think that, you know, the upper class, the will-be upperclassmen like Marcus, Sam, you know, Sakar, they will definitely be leading the program in the next two years in the right direction. I, I feel like Marquette basketball could be in a another deep run sooner than people think. If if all goes according to plan, which I mean, of course, it never does. But I like Andrew said, I don't see why there's any reason why this team couldn't make a deep run in March Madness in the next couple of seasons. And if you look at the big big picture. Marquette's in a really good conference with TV money pouring in and fundraising pouring in, a really solid athletics program. Like if you look at what women's basketball and men's lacrosse is doing and just in general their expansion plans, the administration seems to more or less have a pretty solid grasp of things. So it's not like you you look at, say, DePaul, where they're having a bunch of drama not just with the men's basketball team, but with the athletic director, with buildings, with really the infrastructure of everything. Marquette has a solid underpinning and a solid reputation. And I think that's half the battle right there. It's very true. Yep. Yeah. And with that, guys, I'm going to have to conclude the final men's basketball wire sports weekly podcast and women's basketball, obviously Marquette basketball in general. But I want to say thanks to Andrew Golson and Brendan Plone for covering the beat. And also John Steppy too. I just wanted to thank the seniors first, but also John Steppy. You guys did a fabulous job. Being exiled. Hey, you're still here. Uh (laughs) All right. Well, um, guys, you want to say, sorry. Yeah, no, one, one last thing to plug. We have a men's lacrosse broadcast this Saturday because when we get out of basketball season, we go into lacrosse season. They've already been playing for a month, but it's now the main sport on campus. So uh, March 24th, noon, marquettewire.org or gomarquette.com. Men's lacrosse against Georgetown. I will be on the call with Dean Bibbins. And then we've got another one in early April for women's lacrosse. I forget the exact date for that, but there will be another Wire Sports Weekly before then, and I can plug that one on. But in the meantime, Saturday, men's lacrosse against Georgetown. You can go to marquettewire.org for all of our sports coverage or follow us at Sports on Twitter for our occasionally good tweets. Okay, guys, for for Wire Sports Weekly and the Marquette Wire Sports, this has been Chris Reisner, John Steffi, Andrew Goldstein, and Brendan Plone. As always, I'm your host, Jack Phillips, and we will see you next week. Bye.